and welcome to this Expert Insights CD. I'm Donna Hanson. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and achievement both in business and personally. We know that these days it's often hard to find time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations around the globe. Our Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a regular basis in a format that maximises your time and keeps you up to date with current trends. In this Expert Insights CD, we speak with Jessica Petit. Before we meet her, let me share a bit of Jessica's background. For more than a decade, Jessica has been educating people to support and embrace a more diverse environment. With a Master's in Higher Education Administration and her background as a college administrator in South Carolina, Oregon, New York and Arizona, Jessica's well-versed in the education space. She's worked with various student services offices on university campuses, as well as acting in a range of advisory roles relating to LGBT, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender, and women's support services. Jessica has also established a Centre for Social Justice Leadership in Arizona and worked as a Presidential Advisor for Diversity in California. Jessica believes that organisations need to stop waiting to be good enough and step into being good enough now. G'day Jessica, how are you? I'm great, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you on board. Before we start, I have to ask, good enough now, where did this come from and, and what does it mean? Oh, well, sure. I, I get that question a lot. And I think that uh, whether it's capitalism or just your run-of-the-mill speakers, we tend to shoot for exceptionalism or the best of betterness of best of bestiveness. And it tends to get really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find that a lot of times when I'm working specifically in topics of diversity and social justice, with the expectation of being exceptional, what ends up happening is we have a bunch of excuses and we don't try. And so by virtue of working with the resources that we currently have access to, we're plenty good enough to start working with what we've got and do the best we can some of the time is way better than waiting for perfection. Yeah, no, look, I agree with you. And, and we're singing from the same hymn book, so to speak. You know, I believe organisations already have the tools they need. They just need to take some time to look at things in a different way, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I think that part of what I do is kind of a, as I work with educational institutions and switched more to corporate business and association work, is there's a very simple self-assessment tool to be able to determine what lived experiences are already there so that you can intentionally fill in the gaps with what you're missing, but also work with what you already have, especially during budget cuts and hiring freezes and things like that. I find it far more motivating and productive than waiting around for everything to be perfect. Uh -huh. So Jessica, our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, but tell us exactly how did you come to be a specialist in diversity and social justice? Well, uh, there's two ways of kind of answering that story. The funny one is that I got fired all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish I was really kidding, but I'm not. But uh, working specifically inside of the university system, I was given jobs or asked to start centers or jobs that really focused on the inequities within the institution. And by focusing on the inequities of the institution, it ended up being a lot easier to fire me than to fix them. Uh, so that makes some sense, I guess. Uh, so the, the squeaky wheel always gets fired. Is that is that how that saying goes? <laughs> um, <laughs> so the more I would point out by, i.e., do my job, the riskier my job security got. So after the third time of being fired, um, I actually got quite a large severance package to not sue my university for a hostile work environment. Um, a lot of times when we talk about these issues, uh, people go directly to lawsuits and that's a real concern but I got a severance package and I used that money to kind of start my own consulting or speaking company so I pulled together all the bits and pieces that I really liked and uh, didn't really know if it would translate to audiences that I didn't have long-term relationships with and it does so um, I've now been doing it for about 10 years mm. it's great so you mentioned inequities can you just explain what your interpretation of inequities at that time was? What were you seeing? Yeah, it's un, uh, unfortunately slash fortunately, it's not really much different now mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. over the last 10 or 15 years. But um, the idea of inequitable distribution of resources, uh, whether it's funding for like if we take an organization and we look at the three different branches of the organization – uh, chances are those three different branches have different resources. And those resources could literally be budget lines, could be furniture, could be spaces, could be the amount of talent they're allowed to hire, um, the amount of workload that one person is kind of expected to hold, um, all the way down to insurance benefits, vacation leave, maternity leave, um, who feels included inside of that work environment and who doesn't, who is it kind of tailored towards and who it isn't. Um, so then my work is to take the ideas of inequalities from kind of the usual suspect conversations, maybe it's gender for men and women balance, or maybe it's LGBT inclusion, um, but to also expand that not just to race, class, religion, or other protected identities, at least in our federal government, there are eight protected identities but there's a lot that aren't really talked about. So even introverts versus extroverts mm -hmm. uh, within the classroom or within the office, culturally speaking, extroverts uh, tend to be much more privileged. Um, participation points, they seem to be engaged. I work with a board right now where, interestingly, there's three new people on the board who are getting a reputation as not being creative and not bringing answers or solutions to the table when in reality they're brilliant they're just introverted so those ideas come later over email uh, versus hearing themselves speak or repeating other people's ideas in the meetings um, so the extroverts can talk all they want to and look like they're contributing that's an example mm. Mm, that's interesting because uh, I guess there's an element of what you're saying there about it being uh, observational Mm -hmm. that yeah. that we really rather than jumping to conclusions we need to be 
really more observant about what's going on around us because in effect things aren't what they seem as you just said just because somebody appears not to be contributing doesn't mean they don't want to contribute it might be that they're an introvert right um that you and I were talking before the interview started and we have a very similar philosophy of kind of working with what you got but one of the first things I do when I walk into an organization is I look at the physical space so before we even get to talent or people identities, I look at the physical space and there's a really great power dynamic that is often apparent based in office furniture and the amount of space and privacy uh, allotted to someone who works in that particular space. So the lower power, the lower paid, usually the higher workload positions usually have rolly furniture, um, they often don't even have full walls. They'll have like a three-quarter wall. They don't have a door. They don't have a window. They're kind of floating out in the middle. Um, often share resources like a stapler or a copier. And as you move up the pay scale, the responsibility scale, and often you move down the number of hours someone is actually in the office. Now, they may work as much, but they're out of the office. They're on an airplane. They're traveling. They work from home. They have much more flexible hours. You end up with much more stationary furniture present, windows, doors, full walls, often your own printer, things like that. So it's, it's just an example of how power can be distributed um, either intentionally but often unintentionally within the office. So then if a supervisor in that space comes in and says, we're all equal, um, no, you're not. <laughs> I don't even have my own stapler. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's insane. So, okay, I understand the the definition of inequities. Let's let's just talk about what, particularly in your work, diversity encompasses. Sure. So, um, like I had said, there there tends to be kind of eight main identities that are protected by the U.S. Constitution and federal law. Um, but there's millions of different kinds of identities that can be really useful assets um, when you bring that lived experience into um, a team, in intentionally bringing it into a team. Um, so the kind of usual suspects are gender, race, age, class, um, sexual orientation or sexual identity, religion, uh, veteran status, and relationship status. Um, whether you're married or single or something like that. Um, but so those are kind of where I usually start. But I think you can also, like I talked a little bit about extrovert versus introvert. Um, there's also some really like life, life skills that can happen based on lived experiences that are really important. So for example, when I join a board or join a team, one of the most consistent skill sets I'm told I bring into the room is that I'm really resourceful and uh, kind of scrappy, right? Like I have a, a scrappy sense of resourcefulness. But that makes sense in that when you look at my lived experience, my parents died when I was a teenager. I raised my brother for a number of years until we kind of went on our own way. And I didn't have a choice to not be resourceful and scrappy. So by developing into a resourceful person, I can bring that skill to a team. But what's interesting is, is that often in professional environments, I 
I have worked in at least. Um, I've been really discouraged from talking about what we call our personal life. I'm using air quotes. <laughs> you're supposed to leave that at home. But um, I think that it's really important to understand that those quote unquote personal lives can't be left at home. Um, I usually make a joke that your coworkers know when you're getting divorced long before you do. Uh, because they know what you're like. They know what your energy is like. They know where you're spending your time. Um, I did some consulting work with Mercedes-Benz recently, and there were two people. One was a mechanic and one was a vice president, and both of them seemed to have similar reputations of being really lazy and kind of absent, um, taking extra long lunches, and nobody liked them. They used to be liked, but then all of a sudden they just weren't. And when I did one-on-one -on -one interviews with them, I found out that both of these men were going through chemotherapy at the same hospital. Wow. But they, they didn't feel like they could tell anyone they worked with, let alone know about each other and, like, support one another. Um, so I really see this when we start talking about business. Um, I see it really impacting your bottom line, your retention of employees, recruitment of employees, but also just their ability to be creative and innovative and really tap in to the full skill set that came with that person that happens to show up to work every day. And I guess, too, if you were to take that further, um, that um, motivates them or demotivates them to participate when they're at work. And I know that in Australia, one of our health insurance providers, Medibank Private, did a report in 2008 about workplace stress. And they estimated at the time that absenteeism which could be as a result of things like having to attend hospital uh, for treatment, like your example, and presenteeism, where people are actually physically at work but they're not actually productive, was costing organisations in Australia something along the lines of $10.11 billion a year. Yeah. So, And a lot of this is just a hidden cost that people don't see because most organisations are just looking at dollars in, dollars out. Mm-hmm. And we um, often don't take into consideration the cost of training a new employee. Mm, mm, and mm. so when you lose someone, you lose that human, you lose the productivity of that human and the time it takes you to hire a new human. And then when you hire the new human, you have to train them and get them up to speed before they're even working at a comparable level of the person that you lost. Absolutely. And when that person leaves, one of my rationales is it's like a silo of knowledge that walks out the door. Right. Because I often hear uh, clients come to me and say, well, we had this process or we had this macro or we had this chart, but we don't know how to do it because so-and-so used to do it and they've now left the organisation. Right. So you, you, yeah, I hear exactly where you're coming from. Okay, so that that gives us some some context around diversity, and it's interesting to explore too, you know, because we often make the assumption that diversity is a global thing that it looks exactly the same in every country, and that's not always the case because of you know what's going on around us, etc. But a lot of those things that you mentioned are consistent with the sorts of things here. So. Mm -hmm. um, the other question I wanted to ask in this sort of area was social justice. What does mm -hmm. that mean in a in a work environment? Sure. So my kind of easygoing con uh, contradiction definition. <laughs> so diversity is everything outside of you. 
Mm-hmm. So it's your lived experience, your different groups of friends, different places you've been, um, and it's things people see or the stories they write about you. Mm-hmm. Whereas social justice is everything inside. So it's uh, your responsibility for your own response patterns, your responsibility for who you are friends with, who you choose not to be friends with, who you interrupt and who you don't interrupt, um, who you seek advice from and who you don't seek advice from, uh, the self-reflection piece of understanding who and how you are, in my opinion, is at the root of doing social justice work. Wow. And that's that's a really simplified definition and yet provides such great clarity. Diversity being outside of you and social justice being inside of you. To take that a step further, why, why is it important that organisations consider both diversity and, and social justice? Sure. Well, I, I don't know what everything is like over there for y'all, but at least in my experience, I was a diversity educator for a number of years, and I only focused on outside things and how things looked and the appearance of difference, um, either with myself or with other people, and I expected people to interact and behave um, similarly with things and places and people that were different than them. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was, is where that sounds fantastic, um, I didn't notice a significant amount of change happening in my life. And I believe it's because I hadn't done my own self-reflection work, nor was I encouraging anyone else to do their own self-reflection work. When in reality, I really don't want more inclusive office decorations. I want to be able to be less fearful of difference. And I also want to be able to show up in my own difference Mm. in a less fearful way. So in order to do that, conveniently, we all have, in my opinion, a free tool to do this, and that is that we are all (laughs) self-absorbed. So if we can fit it into 140 characters in between our chai lattes and returning voicemails, we can actually be self-reflective. So that's the work that I realized I wasn't doing. Everything was outsourced or outside of me. I wish you could see my hand gestures coming out of me, but I wasn't doing any internal work. But I am the thing that's in common with every one of my relationships, whether they're in the grocery store or at work or at home. So until I started doing both, nothing changed. And what I do now is I work with organizations so that the individuals can be more competent and confident internally so that they can actually create a more inclusive culture and environment where all of them gets to show up and they're ready to listen and receive all of their others, other coworkers. And it's applicable in your personal life as well as your professional life, but also just strangers on the street. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a much more realistic based person. So I guess uh, the benefits of that for an organization is it starts to minimize that presenteeism that, that I spoke about before. And that is, um, you know, people feel engaged when they're coming in and when they feel engaged mentally, then you know, they contribute in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I think the the terminology of presenteeism versus absenteeism, the thing they both have in common is they don't feel valued. Yes. So if all of your bits and pieces are actually your most valuable assets to offer an employer, 
it costs you nothing to show up at work. Yes. And if, when I th work with supervisors or team leaders, specifically, it's about intentionally seeing what do we already have and exploiting the strengths and the things that are actually self-motivating out of what you already have, and then intentionally seeking and filling the gaps of what you don't have. Um, what tends to happen when we work in teams, we're really frustrated by somebody and so we get rid of them instead of recognizing that what's frustrating is that they are providing something we can't. Mm. So I, I, I coined a term called differently right. Mm. And that not everyone, there are some people that I just don't like, but some people are legitimately frustrating because they're offering a different perspective that I'm unable to generate myself. And so if I can take a second to hear their perspective, I will hear something that's differently right. Mm -hmm. Then we're able to work together in a way that that perspective plus my perspective, we're going to be able to create a much more innovative solution to something specifically when resources are slim than if I was only sitting at a table with people exactly like me. Mm. But that's not how we hire. That's not how we currently create teams. It's not how we promote people. And it's not how we celebrate or retain talent. We don't look at different. When we see someone different, we say you don't fit. Yes. So uh, another saying that I often say is, is at least here, um, I always hear you can't hit, you can't put a square peg in a round hole, mm -hmm. um, which is often the language that was used when I was fired as well. Who knew that being fired a million times would make me great with employee retention? <laughs> 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 the truth is you can fit a square peg in a round hole. You just use a smaller peg. Mm. I think you bring up a, a good point insofar as we've become very quick as a society, we're very reactive. We see something, we want to tick the box, we want to do that. We have the 24-7 connectivity with technology. We really need to go back to basics and, and make the time, take the time to make the time. Mm -hmm. Because what's happening is, is the time is just being frittered away and we're busy doing stuff, but it's not the right stuff. And the reason it's not the right stuff is because we're busy ticking boxes rather than thinking about, is this the right stuff that we should be doing? Yeah, I, I think that ultimately, is this the right stuff we should be doing is a question we should be asking perpetually. Because mm. um, I don't know that if you arrive at an answer to that, it's similar to calling yourself an expert. Like, if you call yourself an expert, you're probably a jerk. <laughs> you know, like, you can't, you can't knowingly be your own expert. Somebody else has to, it's like being funny. I'm hysterical. Versus someone else saying, like, no, she's really funny. Or being an ally, it's the same thing. If I say, I am an ally... It's really a label someone else has to bestow upon you. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, you know, is there something that we should alter, shift, do better is a question we should always be asking. And the answer is outside of us. I, I also think too that it's a never ending quest. It's rather like uh, fitness. Uh, you don't go to the gym, you get fit and say, that's it. I don't need to go to the gym again. You need to maintain that level and you need to be observant to what's happening around you and the impact of those things. And then you need to change direction and adjust accordingly to what's happening around you. Right. Rumor has it, the fact that I walk a half marathon once a year 
is not actually enough exercise for my daily health. Yes. I it is super efficient, but it's not enough. It's year-round work and reflection. That's exactly what I do. Yep. Consistency. Okay, so on the on the points of diversity and social justice, what are some possible action steps our listeners could take to start or take the conversation a little further in their organization? Sure. So the the first thing I would say is do not fret about what it is you might be guilty feeling or ashamed about. Most people, when we start engaging in these kind of conversations, have to go through some kind of guilt, shame, question, I don't know, why can't I just fix it kind of feelings. And that's just life, right? So when those come up, just be like, oh, look, I'm alive. That's appropriate. Okay, great. Now let's continue on with the conversation. Um, I think that we also tend to disregard the importance of these conversations when we call people together to do it and only the quote-unquote usual suspects, or to use Christian hegemony, the choir show up to talk about these kind of subjects. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that there is a lot of learning that needs to happen even there. So the people who are interested in having these conversations are exactly the people you want to have these conversations because they are interested in it. The people who are not interested in it, please do not invite them into these conversations. If they don't want to have them, it will more than likely be less productive unless you have a trained professional around. Mm -hmm. Um, There are times where even I will come in to facilitate one of these difficult conversations and there are people where I'm like, if you really don't want to be here, you can leave. And it makes people really uncomfortable, but largely... Uh, imagine the strength it takes to go, oh, I can leave? Okay, bye, I'm out of here. And then they leave the room. But a power dynamic will shift and the people who remain in the room are willing to have this conversation. Um, No one on earth is doing this well. That's good to know. Some people get really mad at me when I say that. So good job having that response. But because nobody is doing it well, the pressure is off of you being perfect. And now we're back to good enough, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the the important action step here is is really not worrying about where you are because where you are is where you are. I mean, worry about it in the sense that you need to figure out where are you. Yeah. But once you figure that out, don't fret about it. That's where you're at. Good to know. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yep. That's right. That's right. So um, some good information and ideas and thoughts and conversation around that diversity and, and social justice. Um, why is it important to acknowledge or include consideration of the LGBT, I get tongue-tied, specifically in organisations? Sure. So um, some people need like what I call heady information. So they're like, how many lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans people exist? Let's just say the number is a lot. I mean, there's a there's a lot of different surveys out there. The most conservative estimate would be 10 to 15 percent of your known population. So if you work with 10 people, there is one person that you work with that identifies as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and or transgender. And the reason why that's particularly important is that someone's sexuality or gender identity may or may not be public, may not be uh, perceivable by other people or visible by other people. So 
if it's not welcome at work, that's a part that they have to leave in the parking lot. But you can't leave yourself in the parking lot and show up to work. And so often it's not talked about because people think, you know, sexuality doesn't belong in the workplace, which may or may not be true depending on your workplace. But then you decorate your office with your friends and your family. Um, for the holiday party, you bring your plus one. Um, there's a lot of things that we do that I call mandatory fun yeah, that you yeah. don't necessarily always want to go to and your partner or the person you're dating or the person you're married to or whatever, that person kind of feels like they have to come. Mm -hmm. But if mm -hmm. you have a same sex or same gender partner, you have to come up with a whole story as to why your office is decorated differently or why you can't go to the uh, party or whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of time and energy to keep things undercover that could be used to being creative and innovative at work. Mm. Um, so as uh, states, countries, and as international laws are coming into recognition, of uh, acknowledging gay marriage, uh, acknowledging gender transition, things like this. As, as that is happening, it's really up to organizations to create an environment that celebrates the full person that they have hired to be able to show up at work completely. And by virtue of doing that, then they can actually do their job. Well, that's that's interesting, and I've written down a few different things here. So, and I see this as an area that perhaps isn't as established in Australia, or doesn't appear to be as established in Australia as it, it seems to be in the US. So, an organisation needs to be mindful of this situation, provide an environment to support it, and and promote the inclusion element of it and potentially this could offer organizations the opportunity to attract talent that you know may not have necessarily considered working for an organization because uh, you know maybe they feel like their cre creativity or uh, that those parts of themselves that they bring to the the office um, they can't truly unleash mm -hmm. and if it's not about them individually it can be about their parents or their children mm -hmm. or their best friends or somebody else that they really, really, really would like to recruit for a particular job or a task. Um, so it's a lot of times we only think about the individual that we have hired and their identities they're bringing to work. But they're bringing an entire list of people in their entire life that they then have to pick and choose what they can talk about or share at work. Um I just think that as a supervisor, you don't want someone spending so much energy picking and choosing what they can share at work. You want them to spend that energy work. You want them to spend that energy for you. That's what you're paying them for. Um, so by creating an environment where people can just be and then they can just work, um, that's really all people are really asking for. Um, I, I, I'm assuming this may be a good time to mention this, but uh, I have a webinar that I'm happy to share with your listeners. Wonderful. It's, um, it's called Inclusion Beyond the Law, and it's uh, maybe 15 or so different tips that you can do to, uh, to your workplace, to uh, if you're planning events, if you have members, if you have an annual conference or something like that. That what's interesting is is that these things in some places 
are legally protected, inclusive pieces, whether it's around food allergies or roommate shares or ride shares or, you know, gender neutral bathrooms or non-discrimination policies or prayer rugs or things like this. Um, and what ends up happening is, is that you'll hire someone or you'll have an intern or you'll have an event in some new location and you'll have people who have grown to expect these things. And then when they go to a different place with those expectations, they're horribly disappointed. So what I'm trying to do is to help organizations or companies plan in advance to do these things so that no matter where you're located or where your talent is coming from, their needs are being met. So if your listeners go to goodenoughnow.com uh -huh. forward slash next steps, uh, you'll get the video and the video is worth 1.5 continuing education units for free. Um, that are approved through HRCI. And all that information is on that website. Fantastic. Look, I, I think organisations are looking for anything they can to sort of gather information, particularly about an area where maybe there's not as much knowledge available uh, sure. at this particular point in time. Um, and there's, there's some additional handouts and, um, and an assessment tool about workplace inclusivity too that's also free. Beautiful. So what are some possible action steps um, listeners could take around this um, LGBT space to, you know, start that conversation internally? Um, the first thing I would say is, again, kind of an, a self-assessment self tool so that the inclusion assessment tool that I have available through uh, to download through that webinar, goodenoughnow.com forward slash next steps. Uh, to do that, that looks at your whole organization, leadership, the board, the employees at every level, what kind of committees exist, who's on those committees, down to what kind of artwork is hanging in the hallways. Mm. Um, I think there's a way of doing some um, self-assessment that you don't really need to bring in an expert to count things. You could do that on your own. Just often people don't know what to be looking for. Um, specifically around LGBT inclusion, what I would do is even in just a month, just a, a given month, take note of every time someone talks about something that is predominantly heterosexual. So what I mean about that is Monday morning. So what did you and your husband do over the weekend? Um, when you have a his and her retreats or you're preparing an email generically, um, how do you do the salutations in the email or on the letter or on the letterhead? Um, what is kind of your default practice in your office when it comes to gender and or the assumption of a relationship status? Um, that's, that's something that can be kind of easily done. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. When you do notice those things, you don't necessarily have to I'm, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of being politically correct. I think it's important to notice. And then is it necessary? And if it is necessary, is there a way to be more inclusive? And if it's not necessary, is it just a habit? And if it's just a habit, you can change your language. Wow. Uh, Jessica, we're fast running out of time and I'm not sure if there's anything else that you, you think you, you might, uh, our listeners might benefit from knowing about uh, the social justice, diversity or LGBT space. So, I mean, I, that's the downside of interviewing a professional speaker is there's a lot of stuff. But <laughs> the, my, my parting words always are is that if we collectively can do the best we can 
with what we already have some of the time. It's better than nothing. Mm. Jessica, some great insights and conversation on diversity, social justice and the LGBT space. I have to say that really slow because uh, sometimes I get both uh, dyslexic and uh, verbally dyslexic um, and how we really are good enough now. You know, thank you so much. If, if some of our listeners want to get in contact with you, we mentioned that, uh, that webinar uh, that may be helpful or maybe they want to explore a conversation with you further or consider some of your resources for their teams. How's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So my main website is goodenoughnow.com. My cell phone is area code 917-543-0966. I travel for a living primarily around the United States, but I do have a passport. And um, email is engage at goodenoughnow.com and anything I can do to help I'm more than happy to and I have a lot of information on my hard drive so even if people needed some specific handouts or tips or something um, feel free to drop me an email and I'm happy to connect you to some resources thank you very much for having me can you just mention that uh, web page again that had the webinar on it it was good enough now goodenoughnow.com mm-hmm. forward slash mm-hmm. next steps. So N-E-X-T-S-T-E-P-S, next steps. Fantastica, fantastic. <laughs> Jessica, thank you again for your time today and thank you listeners for joining us for this Expert Insights CD. For more information on our services, visit donnahanson.com.au or primesolutions.net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hanson, technology strategist, helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now. 